0: Thanks for listening to another podcast from C3 Calgary West. Our hope is that this message will equip and inspire your walk with God. For more information about our church and community, check out myc3church.ca. That should be, that should be exciting. Um, the, um, so I'm going to wrap this one up on, on relationships this morning. And, um, and um, I have a couple of things <clears throat> that, are really, that should really, really be helpful I like to think that what uh, we share here is instantly applicable for you and and helpful. It's always my desire to be spiritually pragmatic and uh, not super mystical. Um, You can get that from other sources, I suppose. But um, it's really important for me. I I think that we're talking about relationships. And uh, we oversee a number of leaders in Canada. And uh, I'm just reading a book called The 10 Characteristics of a Leadership Crash. And uh, it's frightening because we see leaders, both in business and in ministry, crashing quite frequently, and I think there's ways to expedite that, and one of those is to stay in a vital relationship with other people. <laughs> That's one of the ways we stay accountable, and we stay, we, we, we keep ourselves, we put ourselves actually in places where we can be accountable because we all have blind spots, and blind spots by nature um, are, leave you blind in some spots. What, what they're like, and we all have them. And so uh, I was going to share some of those thoughts, but grab, the, grab that book instead. It's a, it's a small book, really, really profound, I think. Um, but the two, the, the greatest need of every human and the greatest fear of every human, they're both relational. The greatest need of every human being is love. The greatest fear is rejection. You, you, we, we can't process rejection well because we're never meant to. It's not, in our, it's not in our DNA at all. We're meant to be accepted uh, and, and unconditionally accepted and unconditionally loved. And so when we involve ourselves in relationships, whether that's a, last week we talked about covenant relationship, a marriage can be with colleagues, can be friends, but we find ourselves confronted then with different issues that challenge both of these specific needs that every human has. To be loved and that craving for love and acceptance, and also the fear of rejection. So, I want to talk about those this morning, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, Romans chapter 8, where we want to start. I love Romans chapter 8. Well, I love Romans chapter 12. Well, sorry, actually, I love Romans chapter 14, and I don't mind Romans chapter 5 or chapter 1. There. Uh, I love the Word of God, and this pre- specific uh, passage talks about the, co- the, 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 the contrast. Can I say the, maybe the contrast between uh, being a child of God, a son or daughter, and a slave? I I was saved in 1981, and I I got to know Christ as Savior in 1981, but it wasn't until 19 about 1993 that I specifically knew Him as Father. And you know you know what happens because that Spirit of adoption, He says that your Spirit then cries out Abba, or Daddy. And, and at that point, something shifts in your relationship. That can happen instantly. It can happen. Maybe some of you haven't experienced that yet. That's still ahead for you. But, but this passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 12, and I'll probably read to about verse 17, where it says that you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. That's important to get. The devil didn't make you do it. Well. Your, big, your, biggest, your biggest enemy is not the devil. He's busy doing other things. There is a real devil. Your biggest issue is your flesh. Um, you have no obligation. I love this. You have no obligation. You are not obligated to yield yourself to your sinful temptations. you no longer because you're now free to follow Christ. You're now free to walk in holiness. You're free to walk in purity. You're free to do that now. You're no longer bound by the flesh. This is a great revelation. For if you keep on following it, you will perish. Romans is written to believers. If you keep on following it, you will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its deeds, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. This is is not a one-time experience. This is a continuing experience over and over and over again. Moment by moment. Every, every, decine, every, every decision that you make and every opinion you form is either out of one kingdom or another. We sing about the king and worshiping the king. Um, but sometimes our lives defy our worship. It's a moment-by-moment moment obedience to the king. <clears throat> so you should not be like cowering fearful slaves. I actually like those um, descriptors. You should not be like cowering fearful slaves. I just want to preach this because it's really empowering. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. He's talking about our behavior. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we're God's children, and since we're his children, we share in his treasures, for everything God gives to his Son, Christ, is ours too. This speaks of both identity and inheritance. And... And I have, I'm still working out this thought completely, but I, I hypothesize that everything that comes to us comes by way of inheritance. And so, you just think about that. I may not be accurate specifically, but I got a feeling. <laughs> and, uh, and everything that, that, when we get outside of a relationship in Christ, because our inheritance is found, all the treasures are in Christ. And when you're out of relationship, you don't receive that inheritance. It doesn't, it's not automatically vectored into our life. It's a- automatically accessible for us. But you won't get any earthly inheritance if you're out of relationship with your father or mother, will you? You might get written out of the will. So it's the same spiritually. As what I, that's, that's basically uh, what I'm trying to say. Um, n- we never get tired of great experiences. That's why our relationships are meant... To enhance our life, and it's still not good for us to be alone. That's what the Lord said. It's not good that man be alone. It's still not good. Let me let me submit to you this: is that uh, on a very very practical level, uh, healthy relationships contribute to your physical health. It's a, it's a it's a it's a proven fact that people who are married live longer. <laughs> a nervous little laugh from the front, I, I, I know what you're thinking and I'm not going there at all. Um, so I think that's interesting, and, and, but, but, um, but the fact is, so our highest ambition should be a, a relationship with God, our highest ambition in life, but the fact is that relig- religion has worked against that because religion is based on fear rather than faith. Now let me move into the area of conjecture for a little while. And, and just, um, I have been faced with a dilemma uh, much of my Christian life, and I've never shared what I'm going to share before because it's always been confusing to me. I don't know if you've ever heard, and I read this, you know, where it says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Sounds nice. You probably have heard that. I was, I was told last week that we are, that the, a comment about our family is we're God, a God-fearing family. Some of you might know what that means. I, I submit that I don't specifically. You might have some idea because you've been, you know, and we as fathers are meant to put the fear of God into our son-in-laws, right? That's What is that? How do you do that? Like, Because, here, because here's the problem is you can't never trust somebody that you fear. None of you trust anybody you fear. What, how could you? Because you don't know how they're going to, they might explode. You don't know. So this is di- a dichotomy to me, is that, and then in, in uh, I think it's Psalm 1919, where it says the fear of God purifies us. I go, gosh, if it's fear, it terrifies me. But, but every, so every negative emotion comes, uh, is, is rooted in fear. And religion is rooted in fear. But our relationship with Christ is rooted in faith. And so they're somewhat different. Do you know what I'm suggesting to you because when you talk about the fear of God and it's the begin, beginning of wisdom that's confusing for me and so um, I've done a little bit of working with the help of somebody that's way smarter than me I've come up with some ideas fear gives power to the enemy and so we have to actually overcome fear to embrace love when we're told in the book of 1 John it says that perfect love actually deals with fear so I just want to know so should I be fearing God or loving him what should I be doing And I think it's held in the definition of these terms. And so I submit to you that um, I want to talk to us this morning about this, how how critical it is that we learn what that might mean so that we can love God better as well as love others better. And when really pushed about which of the commandments were the best, and he said, well, you can summarize the entire Old Testament by saying just love God, love people, and love yourselves, what he said. May I suggest to you, I think it works a little bit from the back end, that unless we're able to love ourselves, we won't be able to love others and love God. And so our identity then, what a critical issue it is that we get our self-identity and our self-worth established before we begin relating to others. If not, we'll project our fears and insecurities on others. That's what will happen. And, and, and the other result is that we will put that grid on how we view God as well. And so, so settling our identity is critical to receiving our inheritance, and so knowing that we are no longer slaves to fear, well, how can I fear God and, and still and, and say, well, wait, I'm no longer a slave to fear, so how does that work? Well, I'm glad you're asking that question, because this has been a big, big issue uh, for me in my life. Relationships are like a campfire. You have to watch them constantly. And... Um, and, and and I've found that if you're, of course, you know, unless there's a fire ban, um, you know, you got to watch that it doesn't get out of control, and you got to watch that it doesn't die out. So it needs to be tended to. Is, I think it's a decent metaphor about our relationships. So I have to do some self uh, evaluation about my relationships. And here I'm going to summarize the ten critical um, issues of uh, what did I say for, of leadership crashes. I'm going to summarize them so, to help you understand, or help you to uh, um, get the p- point kind of quick. Here, if you were to do a relationship check right now, here, here are the two questions that I'd probably ask. Number, the first one is, am I hurting anybody? Oh, well, of course you would never intentionally. No, you're beautiful people, and man, you're Christ followers, and you're full of love. and Yeah, people are crazy. <laughs> they really are. Um, I'm saying that in, the, in, the, in a positive sense. But you know, if you've been around people, like they're a little bit unpredictable, you'd never quite know. Well, myself included, I, I don't in intentionally hurt people, but I find that I do. Paul had that same wrestling match that so the things I want to do, I, I don't end up doing. And so the question you should ask yourself evaluatively is Am I hurting anybody? Now, that can be intentional, it can be unintentional, but the only way you'll know is if the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. So you need to come to Him and ask Him. And the second thing would be the second question I'd ask Am I, am I hiding from anybody? Are you avoiding somebody? Is there, is there someone relationally that was once close to you and now they're distant from you and now you avoid them at all costs? Ah, oh, you check up on their social status on Facebook and Twitter, and, but you really don't want to see them face to face. These are issues because when, when we're when we not relating well to one another, we actually can't be relating to, to, with God, neither, because he says, listen, before you go and do your stuff, go to your brother and get your relationship sorted out because once you do that, then you and I can, we're on better terms, so, um, good. Point number uh, one further. Um, our identity is, uh, is established, uh, reestablished to have a healthy relationship with God. Um, in Matthew chapter uh, 4, I'm going to read just the last verse of, chapter, uh, of the chapter 3. A voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son and I'm truly and fully pleased with him. I love that. Jesus would later say... That when, the, when, when Satan came to test him, that you don't live by bread, but you live by words that come from the Father. That's what he would say. And he's living now on these words that were spoken of the Father to him. They lasted him approximately at least 40 days, because he's been in the desert 40 days. So my, my uh, statistically, four to three people struggle with math. Um, <laughs> but let's just, let's just say, for example, that... that that, that, that 40 days, you get one word from God, it's good for 40 days. All you need is 10 words to, to make it through the year. But many of us were starving for a word because the last word kind of ran out and now we're, we're a little bit in jeopardy because we're out in that wilderness place again. So anyway, he said, and anyway, here's what the end, here's, here's, let me paraphrase, he's, he's basically saying this, if anybody has, has uh, used the label like I'm a follower of Jesus, everybody around you, has an idea of how you should behave. So this is what he's doing. He's saying, well, if you're a Christian, you should be doing this. Well, if you're a follower of Christ, then you should be this. So he's just been actually, his identity has actually just been established. But instantly, it's being challenged. As soon as you start to sort your identity out in Christ, the first thing that's going to happen is it'll be challenged. And that's your enemy. Silencing that voice. And learning to listen to the voice of the Spirit, because the voice of the Spirit reminds you, you're a child of God, you're no longer a slave to fear. That's what it'll tell you, and it'll reinforce this. So, God affirms his identity, he said, this is my son, this is my child. And the, Lord, the, the Holy Spirit, listen, if, you're, if your heart's open, the Holy Spirit will give you that revelation over and over and over and over again. You're my son, you're my daughter. No, you're mine, you've been bought with a price. You are valuable, you are precious, you are cherished, you are pursued, and my goodness and my mercy follows you all the days of your life. That's, that's his reestablishing your identity. But then something happens, a challenge comes, and on the third challenge, it says, Mark chapter 1 says that he was in the, led into the spirit with the wild animals and the angels. I think that would be a great sermon. Wild animals, wild beasts and angels. Uh, be a good album title. Um, So he says in verse 10, he shows him, he says, and uh, the devil, uh, capital D, took him to the peak of of a very high mountain, showed him the nations of the world and all their glory. He says, I will give this to you if you will only bow down and worship me. Uh, Jesus answers, get out of here, Satan, for the scripture says you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came. Really, really an important aspect because if in, the, in your Bible, in the, in the middle or in the bottom, it'll say what Jesus was quoting was from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. And if you were to read Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13, what you'd find is that, it, is that you were to fear God and fear him only. That's what you, that'll say, something like that. But Jesus quotes it differently. He uses the term worship instead of fear. See where I'm going? Poor Jesus didn't have a theology course. And instead of saying fear, he, he puts in worship instead. So it's, you, you, you know, I find that a little bit of a challenge. It's really important because it's very easy for us to have a doctrine of the love of God, but a behavior that, lo- that still reflects that of a slave. You can hear all of the teaching about how much God loves you. You can sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. But your behavior actually would betray that specific revelation. Because more than a doctrine, this has to become an experience. So, I think one of the great fears that people have is the fear of the unknown. Whatever we, whenever we have inconsistent teaching this does not affirm the goodness of God, instead, we, it affirms that God is a little bit unpredictable. Has anybody, you don't need to nod, but... But I grew up, wasn't sure how God was actually going to act. He might be good, he might not be good. Depends on what side of the bed he got up on. This this is called religion. It'll kill you. Because it's based on your performance keeping the deity happy. Dangerous. I I need to be afraid of him because I'm not sure what he'll do. And then we hear stuff like this, that, well... You went through that because God's just trying to teach you something. Ever heard that lie? Or, you know that tornado went around that house. They must be doing something right. God sends tornadoes to destroy people or something. Well, that's too bad about that that child of yours because God needed him more in heaven than he needs him here. Those sorts of lies will distort your image of what God is really like. This is such a dangerous deal. Here's what I'm here to say to you this morning. Is that there was no one more predictable or consistent than our Lord Jesus Christ. You always know that he functions in love. He, you always know that he's good. And many times our mind or our experience or sometimes those people try to tell us that you're, we're really not sure. Because he might be just teaching you a lesson. I know, who, what, what good father would put sickness on their child to teach them a lesson? That's not the way you and I are meant to live. We're meant to live by words of God that bring revelation, and we calibrate our life according to that. He can redeem any situation, but he does not put sickness on you because he is our healer. This is pretty clear, but it's a little complicated in our behavior. To worship means to lean or to bend forward or favoritism towards something. So what the enemy was asking him to do was to lean toward or to allow him to have influence over all of the nations. It didn't mean to specifically bow down. It says in Revelation, how the, the, well, worship the beast. What does that mean? It's not people with their hands in the air worshiping. It's, it's agreeing with his philosophies. That's what it is. We live in a world right now that's tempted by the philosophies of man. To lean towards, oh, I think that might is right. Oh, greed is good. You just lean towards it, and then you begin to act out of that, and your behavior now reflects that of the kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of light. That's what it means. Um, so, so um, um, fear is a power. It's a power of the enemy. I think I'm just going to scoot along. Hebrews chapter two, verse fourteen and fifteen says that. F- that the enemy uses fear. This, this basically, it just says he holds people in fear. Fear of death. And any, and he's, and, and, and any form of death. Relational death. Financial death. Emotional death. Any, any of those. That's the realm of your enemy, little d. So, let me just uh, scoot along. Because I want to get to this next point about, about how this, the, this, the, this the, the slave mentality. Uh, Deuteronomy... Uh, You'll note that what God is trying to do—he he got them out of Israel in about 40 days, but it or Egypt, but it took another 40 years to get Egypt out of them. And so they were raised in a slave mentality. This is what was happening in Egypt. In your previous life, before you came to Christ, you had a slave mentality. And you better keep moving and keep performing. And that's, so here's the the slave mentality was something like this: you better do what the boss says in order to keep him happy. That is a slave mentality. And when I say to you today that God's already happy with you, you go, yeah, but just a minute. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. That, that right there is dangerous. That's a slave mentality. I have to perform to keep the master happy. This is, this gets instilled within us, the slave mentality. The fear of disappointing someone, the fear of not measuring up, uh, the fear of death because of through punishment or judgment or anger. I better do this because what, if I don't give or if I don't, if I don't get to church or if I don't get to the mission field or if I don't help my neighbor, well, then God's going to be angry at me and I really don't want him to be angry at me. So you move out of obligation. Bondage. That's bondage. But it's very easy to get trapped in. I, I know that very well. Uh, the New Testament, when I, in the New uh, fear, as quoted in the New Testament, was from the Old Testament, was not fear as a perceived threat, because you cannot be afraid of someone and trust them or feel safe around them. Whenever you try to please someone, I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if I'm good enough. Here's what it does: it makes you nervous. Those of you who lived up with a uh, well, all parents really. Be, I mean, we use blackmail; it works great. <laughs> better clean your, better clean your, better do this, better do this, better. If not, right? So we're raised in this sort of mentality, largely, and um, I don't know, I guess it works. Um, so we kind of keep doing it, but the, but the problem is that whenever I do, this is what happens, uh, whenever you do something then to please someone, it actually paralyzes you from doing it out of freedom and out of love, and with a good attitude, you actually get so nervous, you can't, you're not, you're not, you're not sure, will I ever be good enough? So fear, it kind of paralyzes you. And to to know that God loves you doesn't matter, irregardless. To know that you're loved, you're unconditionally right now, is meant to actually free you from any any spirit of performance. That's what it's meant to do. Because only perfect love. Perfect love actually is a a continuum where where love is given, love is received, and then love is reciprocated. That's perfect love. You're loved unconditionally. That's beautiful. But when you love God back, it actually becomes perfect love. And the cycle continues, and that's beautiful. So then we serve because we love, not because we have a we're not uh, we're not slaves, but because we're sons and daughters, and that changes our the, this whole thing uh, about performance. Who came looking for who when the relationship went off in the garden? Adam judged God and says he's going to be mad at me, and when he judged him, then it blinded him. It's the same with the parable of the talents. The last guy he said you're wicked, you're wicked because you actually you thought are you, oh, you're, you're angry, or you're a hard man. And he, and he said the result of that, he buried his talent. Because you can't perform. When you, can't, when you do something out of performance, you never know, am I, will I add up? Will it be good enough? And so you just freeze. And that's what he did uh, with his talent. The, um, so the most visible trait of being in a relationship with God then should be likely the absence of all fear. That 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 probably should be it. God is not in the fear business. So, so the term for fear that's used in uh, in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word yara. I, I I've got a really thick Hebrew book by a scholar named K, K-, K- M Ben Torah, and he says that yara is not a perceived threat, but it means respect and honor and reverence. That's why Jesus says re, re, change the word from fear in Matthew four to worship. It's a story he he used, a story of an Assyrian woman whose son was going to war, and he was fighting, but she was safe. There was no threat, but the threat was for her son, and her fear was not for her safety, but for her son's. Yara can mean to feel a threat, but the threat is for the one that you love. To fear God may better mean that we may in some way threaten him or threaten our relationship with him or threaten the one that we love, who's protecting us. The one thing that would harm him most would be our betrayal of his love. That, be, because love holds with it the potential of, of breaking someone's heart. Um, I don't fear my wife. I mean, <laughs> but, but let me put it in this context is that I fear doing something that would cause her to mistrust me. That's what I fear. Um, this morning we, were getting, we got up and I gave her a hug and my fingernail caught her lip and she had to put extra lipstick on. <laughs> I just felt terrible that I nicked her. You know, I would never do anything to hurt, hurt her. But more than that, I would never do en- anything to jeopardize. I, I don't want to ever do anything that would jeopardize our love. Uh, That's what I'm concerned, is I would hurt the one that I love. To fear God means that I don't want to do anything that would impact our relationship. It it doesn't mean that there's a perceived threat and that I'm not good enough. We've not been given a spirit of fear because fear is bondage. May I suggest that our conscience is never about God's love for us, but about our love for ourselves. Relationships are reflections. They're to be used more like mirrors than microscopes. And may I offer to you this morning the the an antidote to having healthy relationships as you use them to refine your own character, not point out the flaws in another person. Uh, nobody likes living under a microscope, myself included. It kind of goes with a bit of the public nature of pastoring, but... Uh, you know, in we, without without with a mirror, using relationships as mirrors for us, it helps to refine us and then we can ask questions and then we respond out of humility and teachability. <clears throat> I would fi- you'll find that more about yourself when we get into relationship than about the other person. I find that both honor and dishonor are rooted in perspective. We will experience and act like orphans. Because our sense of identity has been developed by the world, not the kingdom of God. But Romans 8 and verse 13 says, As many as are led by the Spirit, they are sons of God. We didn't receive a spirit of slavery again to fear, but the spirit of a son that cries out, Abba, Spirit to Spirit. And and as we wrap up this morning and probably this Series. I think that our identities are based on the often because we like stories. They're based on the stories we tell ourselves about experiences that happen to us. You need to change the narrative. Um, I um, I feel many times we're at we're at at risk of mishandling and misstewarding relationships because of our own self-doubt or self-hatred, or or rather than using my that relationship to refine who we are and who I am in God. Our identities are based on stories that we tell ourselves. We need to be careful not to hold ourselves hostage to our microscopes and my perspective needs to align with how the Father sees me. Romans chapter or sorry, Luke chapter 17 and verse 3. Well, the first 8 verses it talks about forgiveness and faith. And here's what I think it says. It says that that forgiveness is always a choice. One of the most detrimental things you can do to your physical health is carry on forgiveness in your heart. It creates a stress within your body and your body doesn't know how to handle it. And the result of that is many of us, this is what it says, is that when we don't discern the body of Christ, what he's done for us, so many are sick among you and some even die because we haven't realized what he's invited us to do is live a life of, of, of forgiveness. It'd be hard not to talk about relationships without talking about forgiveness, wouldn't it? So here's what he says. He's, the, the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, how many times do I need to forgive? Like seven times? He's looking, for, like he's looking for a list. How many times? He said, no, 70 times seven. He's really meaning you have to live a life of forgiveness. That's what he means. And then he says, oh, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus said, it's not about faith. Forgiveness isn't about faith. He said, if you had a faith, a grain of mustard seed, you could speak to that mountain and that bush. And he said, it's not about faith. It's about a choice. Forgiveness is a decision. It's an act of your will. It's not about faith. You all have a decision to make today in your relationships. Will you forgive? Will you live unoffendable? Will you live as a son or daughter, or will you live as a slave to fear? This really is the option. So I'm not sure where you're at in your relationships today. Um, I think this is a very personal message. But here's what can happen is we get layers of fear start to build within us. And the result is we end up in our own little prison of fear. And probably people, speaking to people today that uh, have a, a cycle in their mind of fear and obligation. We're to owe, we're to owe no man anything but the debt of love. That's, our, that's the invitation. We're under obligation to do, to do this. It's just to love one another. But may I suggest that we first need to love ourselves. So here's what I want to pray for this morning. I want to pray for people who have been trapped with a cycle of fear. And I want to pray that that be broken in the mighty name of Jesus today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.